International Orienteering Podcast Mapping Compass Navigation Skill Orienteering Competition International Orienteering Podcast Hello, we are uh, lucky to welcome you again to uh, Even National Orienteering Podcast. And uh, when we are now into December, is it something to talk about in the orienteering world, Ivo? Well, uh, we don't have a lot to talk about this time, uh, but uh, there has been quite a lot of interesting orienteering performances in different running races across Europe this uh, week. Uh, we have a small update from the silly season and then some other stuff at the end of this podcast. Uh, uh, you should uh, believe that uh, the orienteering season is uh, long enough, So, uh, but the orienteers has to do a lot of running in December also without the map. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you can do orienteering the whole year, and a lot of people do that, but uh, I think a lot of people uh, from the top top of the sport, they are using this period to test themselves in maybe a bit less familiar condition, uh, running city races, running cross races, uh, just to, good, to get good training sessions and maybe to get the time to fly by a bit quicker than just doing the normal training day in and day out. Uh, here in Norway, it was uh, a lot of interest uh, to the European Championship in cross-country running because of uh, Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Uh, and uh, here it was an orienteer also at the starting line. The Swedish uh, Max Peter Beimer from IFK Göteborg. Yeah, so Max Peter, he qualified for the Swedish team after doing uh, well in the Swedish champs and then he did well in the Nordic champs. Uh, so he got the chance to run here uh, in, uh, in the European champs in Italy. And I think he did a quite good performance. He finished in 39th position. Uh, a bit more than one and a half minute behind the winner, uh, Jakob Ingebrigtsen. And I think that's uh, good. And yeah, I mean, it, we were talking a bit about it in the last episode that maybe a position around 30, 35 could be possible. 39, it's not that far away from the top 30. It's quite close uh, at that part of the, of the, of the result list. As uh, Max Peter himself, uh, he is... Uh... He's saying that it was been a yeah it's been a roller coaster the last weeks because he had some trouble with his uh, knee, so he is uh, quite satisfied with the, his uh, performance actually. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's a bit of a danger after you know uh, you do, you have a long long orienteering season with a lot of uh, competitions, and then straight after the orienteering season ends, you jump on and do almost a full cross country season uh, with the. Uh, several races and you need to keep the training up uh, you need to train really hard to be in good form for these races and yeah i think it's a bit uh, injury risk uh, to do that just after a long season you know to not have a part uh, some kind of break um so yeah uh, it's a bit risky and i hope uh, max Peter can take a easier period now until christmas so he can get uh, rid of those problems with his body yeah, he has. Uh, he's, uh, he said he has uh, been. Uh, yeah, felt that the season has been going on since the World Cup in Boros in uh, early spring and uh, until now. So now he will uh, take it a bit easy. But uh, it was uh, a really good experience for him to be at the starting line with uh, such good runners in uh, such good, uh, yeah, starting field uh, in the cross. 
Yeah, and I was I was watching the race and uh, it looked uh, like the course was a bit tougher than some of the previous years. There were some proper hills, both up and down. Uh, so it uh, it should have been suiting an orienteer really well. And yeah, if you look at it in context with how orienteers have been doing it previously in uh, in European champs, uh, it's yeah the the best comparison is Joey Hardorn that ran it last year. Uh, he finished 40th, then he was about 145 behind Jakob Ingevigsen. So that was in the same ballpark as what Max Petter did this year. Uh, of course, it's a bit uh, bit behind what Chris Jones did at his best years before before the pandemic. Uh, both in 2018 and 2019, he ran really well, uh, especially in 2018 when he finished 12th and he was less than 40 seconds behind the winner. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, Max Petter won 40 behind. Uh, I would say that's a, a really solid performance. It's not like the absolute best of what they possibly could do, but it's really, really good. Yeah, I think uh, if you uh, also take in, into account uh, that he's uh, yeah, struggling a bit with the knee, uh, then uh, he had uh, re- he has uh, a reason to be uh, satisfied with this. Uh, and also we had some other orienteers uh, at the starting line. Yeah, so in the women's class, Anastasia Denisova Toy, uh, which is uh, yeah, former Belarusian runner now running for Sweden, she finished in 51st place, more than three minutes behind the winner. Uh, I think that was uh, that was a bit more than I expected. Uh, I was thinking maybe some place in the ballpark between two minutes and two and a half minutes behind. Uh, so more than three minutes, uh, that's uh, yeah, probably not her best day out there running. Uh, and then we also had uh, this uh, a really good uh, Megan Keith from uh, GBR in uh, the under-23 class. Yeah, so last year she won the under-20 class. This year she is uh, older and has to run in the under-23. So now she faced uh, older competitors and... She couldn't uh, win like she did last year, but she did finish in second place. Uh, so just proving once again that uh, she's a really, really good talent for athletics. And yeah, you know, for every race she do, she performs like this, the likelihood of her coming back during hearing is just smaller and smaller. Uh, yeah, but uh, we also had some orienteers in the men uh, 23 class. Unfortunately, Samuel Pilsom uh, did not... Uh... Uh, get to the starting line because of a little injury. But uh, the Dane, uh, Anders Buk Bjornsson, was in the race. Yeah, and he finished just outside the top 60, uh, mo- a bit more than two, almost two and a half minutes behind. Uh, I think that's uh, yeah, pretty good. Uh, it was hard to know beforehand how good he was. And yeah, this it's not... Uh, it's not a big surprise that he's uh, a bit down the result list, but uh, as in 62nd place, 2 minutes and 20 seconds behind, it's not too bad. I mean, the best runners, they are so fast. So uh, even if the, the course may be suited or in here a little bit better than other years, it's still uh, really, really hard to compete with the fastest runners. And, and I mean, we were exp- we had higher expectation of Samuel Bilsvam, so it was really a shame that we couldn't run because... Possibly he could have been in the fight for a top 10, maybe. Yeah, that could have been a really interesting start. Uh, but uh, in Switzerland, we had a really interesting start in a running race this uh, this uh, weekend. Uh, a guy who has not been competing uh, the whole autumn as uh, Max Peter Beimer. Yes, yeah, so, 
Matthias Kibbutz was back in action. Uh, he injured his ankle before the World Cup final this year. Um, and he's been, yeah, out of normal running and out of competing for a few months now. Um, yeah, the last few weeks has been doing good for him. And he was this week doing two comp running races. To, you know, when you get back to it, you should really get back to it properly. Uh, so first, he, on Saturday, he took part in a in a in a race in the city called Sion, which is uh, called Course de Noël. I think it's something about uh, pre-Christmas. You know, one of these standard competitions they have every every year. Uh, it was a seven-kilometer road race, a circuit in the town, uh, with really, really, really good start field. Um, so Matthias, he was uh, finishing 14th in the race, even with an average pace of two minutes and 57, two minutes, 58 per kilometer. And he was only 14th. So it says a lot about the race uh, of the quality of the best runners there. Uh, the winner was a Sudanese runner. Uh, his name is Lubalu. And he has a personal best at 12.52 at 5,000 meter. So yeah, not the easiest start to get back after a comp long competition break to compete with this guy. But uh, yeah, it looked like a fast time and he was half of a minute faster than another orienteer, Timo Suter. And Timo Suter is also really fast. So it seems like uh, Kibbutz has been doing quite well with the training, even if he hadn't been able to run that much. Yeah, that was uh, quite uh, good to see. And uh, we also had some women's uh, in, the, in the field there. Yeah, so three of the Swiss national team runners were running, uh, where Sabine Hauswith was the first of them to the finish. Uh, the same here, it was a really good start field. Uh, so the top six were African runners, high quality runners. And Sabine, she finished 13th. Uh, and she was half a minute, 35 seconds ahead of Simone Ebersold and Martina Rouge. And uh, maybe most interestingly, uh, Sabine was about a minute faster than she was in the same race last year. Uh, so she's been, yeah, she's having a good start of the, of the training winter. Uh, the the rumors uh, was uh, that last year uh, she had a bit uh, lack of motivation. It was a bit uh, up and down with the motivation, but uh, at least now she's going hard and going good. Yeah, and I was um, uh, I was running uh, orienteering training with uh, with her uh, yesterday, and of course we it, it was a mess start uh, interval, and in the first uphill she was really fast, so. She looks really, really motivated this year. She scared you a lot in the first uh, uphill there. Yeah, but luckily after the second control, the men ran another way, so I didn't have to worry about it anymore. And then you should, you should, you, you could escape from her. Uh, but uh, there was um, Matthias. He didn't run uh, orienteering training the day after uh, this race. He had to uh, step up to the horse again and run another uh, competition. Yeah, and this is a special competition. It's like the Silvesterlauf in Zurich. It goes every year. Uh, quite big deal. Uh, very funny format for the elite runners. Uh, you run laps of about 330 meters. And then it's like an elimination race. So everyone runs three rounds. And from round three, people start to get eliminated. So the last runner at each passing is getting eliminated. And then some part you reach when after 12 laps. Only the top 10 runners are left. After 14 laps, only the top 5 runners are left. And then the finish line is uh, at round 16. Uh, my math is not that good. So 16 times 330. 
Uh, do you know how long that is? Uh, it's uh, for me. It's a bit uh, rude of you to get this in the in the face so uh, so quick. But uh, at least, uh, yeah. How uh, how long is it? Have you? Uh, yeah. So now that you were talking, I was able to take my calculator. So it's about five thousand three hundred meters for uh, for the first for the best runners that get to run everything. Uh, and I think uh, it was last year Matthias made it to the final, uh, but this year he fell short. So he made it to the, to the final ten, uh, but when they reached fourteen laps, uh, it was only the five left, and he was out. Uh, also, it was a lot of volunteers running. Uh, Fabian Eberschold and Timo Sute they got knocked out when the field go down to the last ten. So they were a bit behind Matthias, but not that far behind. Uh, and also here the race was uh, won by uh, Lubalu, the Sudanesian runner. Uh, and in the women's class, Paula Gross and Simone Eberschold uh, were there. Uh, they were both knocked down when the field went down to the last 10. Uh, the result list is a bit funny here, but I think Paula was two seconds ahead of Simona when they finished, uh, when they got knocked out. Uh, how is it for uh, Simona to be... Uh... Beaten by other uh, Swiss runners uh, in uh, such races? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that's uncommon. Uh, when the Swiss team are doing their 5,000 meter test uh, as a part of the selection before sprint races, for example, as they do every year, uh, Elena Ross is normally quite a bit faster than Simona. Uh, so I think that even if she's maybe the fastest runner with the map in his hand, uh, in her hand, she's not the fastest when it's just running. Uh, so the self-confidence uh, doesn't get too uh, hurt of this? Well, it shouldn't be. But I saw that uh, on Strava she was complaining a bit about her form. But I mean, it's December. It doesn't matter. It's a long time until next year. Yeah. Uh, but uh, even though there was uh, uh, also uh, some other uh, of the world's best uh, women runners in action this um, weekend. Yeah, uh, Tove Alexanderson, she's at her training camp at the Canary Island and she uh, took part in a local vertical race, uh, uphill race. It was, the course was about four kilometers with uh, a bit more than 600 meters of climbing uh, and she won that race with more than six minutes. Uh, so just by looking at the results like that, it's like, whoa, she, her form must be really good. Uh, but I saw that the fastest man on the same course was... Uh, almost five minutes ahead of her. Uh, so I think that's uh, the result uh, shows that Tove is probably training quite a lot and she didn't take that race uh, very seriously. And uh, when you get, uh, get the hammer and it's uphill, you can't uh, recover. So, yeah, if you go... To yeah, and I mean, if, you're, if you don't, if, you know, probably she has been training for hours, for hours, for hours and many days before. So maybe you have a bit tired legs and yeah, when the course only goes uphill, it's, uh, it's hard with, uh, with tired legs. But uh, we also see that this uh, guy who is preparing for a flat race, Chris Jones, uh, says marathon preparation. Yeah, so Chris Jones is uh, it's getting closer. I think he's, he... He said now that it's week three out of 11 weeks with training for the Sevilla Marathon is done. Uh, he is uh, posting his training in details on Twitter, Strava, Attack Point, everywhere. And it's very interesting to see how he is combining working full-time 
uh, with uh, doing a lot of good training uh, aimed at the marathon race. Yeah, I think it's really uh, you can learn a lot uh, by uh, looking at this uh, his training there, and he's also putting out some quotes and uh, yeah, having uh, discussions with those who make uh, comments uh, on his uh, training. Yeah, and no, so and it's I think it's really important if you're running long uh, long road races, it's important to have a good feeling for the speed. And one of the sessions he posted was really really impressive. Uh, he did like five times three kilometer with 200 meters of jogging between, and it was less. It was two seconds between the fastest and the slowest of those five. Uh, so he's really really good at hitting the right speed. Yeah, and he's not. Uh, he's also not taking any risks in December. It was uh, icy even in uh, Great Britain this weekend, and then he has to. He went in and did a long run on the. 3D mail. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, impressive doing. He did a 90 minute run on a treadmill. Uh, it's not a lot of things that are more boring than that. Uh, I know uh, something that's more boring. I'm uh, a friend of the guy who has the world record in 24 hours running in a 3D mail. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's uh, you can't beat that one. No, I think. Uh, I think just to finish a 24-hour treadmill run, it's uh, then it's uh, yeah, it's, it's mad. the man. It's the man with the tattoos. Yeah, um, but, but yeah, I think he would not be a good orienteer, would he? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, he has it's easiest for him to just uh, run without thinking too much, and then we're not uh, talking so much more about him and go over to the much more fun silly season. Yeah, I think uh, silly season is always very funny because you have this, uh, there is these rumors and then there are news and then uh, suddenly something doesn't happen that you thought was going to happen and other times just uh, things comes out of the blue. Uh, I think so far this year, the silly season has been quite quiet. Uh, we had a good start with a lot of uh, top signings for Helsinki Sunnistrat, for example. Uh, but now it's been quite uh, quiet the last few weeks. But we got some new stuff today. Yeah, we can uh, start with uh, Finland then. Yeah, so some news from Kalu and Rasti. Uh, first, uh, they have got two new uh, additions to the women team. Uh, 22-year-old Venla Turakainen from Helsingin Sundestajat. And the junior girl called Ida Emilia Taiponen. Uh, so Venla Turakain and she is, uh, yeah, she's been in running in the women 21 for a few years now. Uh, she's been running in the second team for Helsing Sundestad at Jukola uh, the last few years. So I think it will be hard for her to to get a spot in the first team at Kalvan Rasti. That's the first team of Kalvan Rasti is better than the first team at Helsing Sundestad. Uh, but it's always uh, good to have more squad depth, and that normally pushes everyone a bit further forward too. Uh, and then the junior, she is uh, Finnish champion in sprint, I think, in women 18 class. So she should obviously be a promising runner from the future. Uh, and then uh, we have uh, also uh, yeah, one uh, man out, maybe. Yeah, uh, so Rudolf Sernis, the Latvian runner, uh, he has moved to, to Sweden. Uh, he's moved to Järna, that is just outside Södertälje. And he has started working at Scania. 
Um, if you have someone that lives close to Södertälje and they work at Scania, you would normally expect them to represent Södertälje Nikvarn. Uh, but I had a little chat with him and it seems like he will stay in Kalvan Rasti at least one more year and then see if it's, uh, if it's a permanent stay in Sweden and that maybe change something in the future. But uh, so far it seems like Kalvan Rasti is keeping all their runners for next year on the men's team. Uh, Sanis was the guy who was uh, leading the world champions relay in uh, 2018 in home soil. Uh, yeah, at the, at the on, on, on the last leg, on the last leg, yeah. yeah. On the last leg at the spectator control. It was ahead of the pack there. It was uh, this uh, short loop uh, before they had a spectator control. And then he was uh, yeah, one, uh, one step ahead of the rest of the group there, just to show the Latvian shirts. Yeah, and I think he's a, he's a good runner. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think he changed first at Jukola in... Rovaniemi at the second leg, uh, so he's a he's a good runner. It's like uh, you can use him on both day legs and night legs. He can run long, he can run short. Uh, so I think he's a he's a important member of the Kalman Rasti team next year. And uh, but from uh, Kalman Rasti to one of the other big uh, clubs, now in uh, Sweden. Yeah, so Ukoline. Uh, we talked a bit uh, about them earlier this. Uh, autumn uh, and now they have started to present new runners on their website uh, so so far three one three runners has been confirmed uh, for the men's team it's Anton Sillier I think he is uh, German uh, German or Belgium I think he's German and he's been running Jaywalk and World Cup and stuff like that um, but I don't think he's Good enough to be fighting for a spot in the in the first team of uh, Linné, not yet at least. Uh, and then for the women's side, they got uh, Susan Lush, German girl, that has been running for Erla the last few years. And then Hanne Vassen, the young Norwegian girl that has also, I think she's running J. She was running Jaywalk a few years ago, uh, but she is not, yeah, not one of the best runners. So I don't think she would fight for a spot at the. Uh, at the first team, Susan Lush should surely be good enough for that, but Hanne Vassen is probably not. I, I think um, I think the rumor says that Susan Lush maybe will retire uh, till next season, but uh, maybe she will do a relay uh, club relay. Uh. Yeah, in the in the in the presentation at the Linné website, she's saying that the, her international career with the German national team is over. But now she wants to uh, fight for a top 10 at the big relays. And one team who has um, the last uh, few years uh, been struggling to get up to the top uh, in the big relays. Mayona or Göteborg Mayona. In, uh, they are also uh, happening something. Yeah, I mean, they have a really interesting silly season. Because we have talked before that they got the Sabina Aumo the Finnish girl that was in the doing good at Jaywalk. Uh, and now they also got the Eleonora Alinder, that is a girl that was running Jaywalk for Sweden this year. Uh, she has one year left as a junior, uh, but we know that if you are good enough to qualify for the Swedish Jaywalk team, you are certainly also good enough for doing really well at the relays. Uh, definitely. And uh, when we are uh, traveling uh, up the coast, uh... 
uh, across the Norwegian border. We are coming to Halden. Yeah, so Halden, they have been struggling a bit uh, the last few years with getting people to uh, to join the local training environment and to move there. Uh, but uh, this year uh, they have got some good additions for the local training environment. Uh, first with the French runner Guillem Elias, which has been running for Halden a few years already. Uh, but now he has moved to Halden uh, to train and to be a part of the the daily daily club stuff. Uh, and then they also got back Anders Felde Olausen, uh, one of the local lads. Uh, I don't think he ever got to run in the first team at Halden before, but maybe he can be a candidate for it now. Uh, he was running Jaywalk back in 2015, uh, and he's been running quite okay for Anthony at some relays, uh, so he's experienced. And he could also be a good addition to the team. Uh, he got a medal in the relay uh, in the J-Walk in 2015 in uh, Norway for the sec- Norwegian second team there. Yep, and moving from one former Norwegian J-Walk runner to another. Yeah, in Fredrikstad, you're talking. Yeah, so Fredrikstad, uh, they had uh, some really good seasons before the COVID pandemic where they were in the top 10 at Tiumila uh, one or two times. Uh, and then they lost some runners and they had a quite old squad that is only getting older. Uh, but now they get back some fresh some fresh blood uh, with Hermann Rien Martinsen, uh, a former J-Walk runner for Norway back in 2017, I think, when it was in Finland. And he's been uh, studying in Trondheim and running for Antenui, but now he has moved back to Fredrikstad. And uh, and there we were uh, about Fredrikstad. We were reporting something wrong a couple of weeks ago about uh, Martin Hobman. We have to declaim that one. Yeah, we got uh, fooled by uh, we got fooled by someone having fun in event talk about it. Uh, so Martin Hobman, he is not uh, going to a falling club as we were debating a few weeks ago. But I uh, still think he is one attractive runner uh, in the market. Absolutely, and um, if you look at the team Fredrikstad have, I mean, they have Martin Hohmann, they have Goethe Hallandsteve, and then now they have Hermann Rien Martinsen, and then the rest of the team is, uh, yeah, 35 to 40 years old. Uh, so, yeah, if Martin Hohmann really wants to have a, a club where he can fight for the wins in the big relays, uh, I would look otherwhere, uh, but I'm guessing that that's not that important for him. Uh, it took quite a long time before he even went to any kind of decent club. He was running in Hagaby when he was younger. Uh, so it seems to me that he doesn't have that big ambitions about the relays. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think uh, it's a good chance for him to stay in Fredrikstad. Uh, should not, uh, he has uh, been winning uh, Jukola with uh, Kristiansson, I have to mention. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, uh, when did he go to Kristiansand? He was like already 25 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Normal, normally, they go, normally the good runners, they go to the B, to good clubs quite early uh, when they reach the elite level. Uh, so for him, it's quite obvious that the individual career is what's important and the relay is a uh, fun bonus, more or less. Uh, from uh, Fredrikstad, Norway, we can go to... Uh... Well, Norska, you have something there also. Yeah, so I said, I mentioned earlier that I was 
training with uh, in the same forest as uh, Sabine Hauswirt uh, yesterday and yeah so it was like the some kind of kickoff training for Uwe Norska so I was there doing some uh, research work for this podcast uh, and they have a, a new runner to the men team Mattia Grindler uh, we mentioned him barely earlier in this autumn when the Swiss national team was uh, was announced because last year he was in this uh, connection group to the national team. This year he is not in the team, uh, but uh, he is motivated to train and he wants to get back in the team. Uh, so I think he's a really good addition to Norska. We know that they have, yeah, the top the top runners they have is really really good with uh, Daniel Huban, Joey Hardorn, Jonas Ecke, uh, but the depth is has not been the best. Uh, so a, a younger runner that has motivation and that is physically quite good uh, will be very very useful for the relay team. Yeah, can we um, can they become uh, top ten in Jukola Tiumila? I think they... I think for Tiumila, I think their squad is not uh, big enough. Uh, I mean, like this year they had to have uh, Matthias Nigli in the team, for example, and yeah, I mean. Uh, not to shame him, but he is a uh, man 50 and he should not be running in a, in a top team anymore. Uh, but yeah, they have some some good younger runners so that can fill in. But I think for Tiumila, it's a bit too thin. Maybe yeah, top 20 could be possible, but not much more than that. Uh, but for Jukola, if, yeah, if things go their way in the beginning of the relay, they get their right groups on the long night legs there. Uh, I think uh, it wouldn't be a, a, it wouldn't be a shock if they are fighting for a top five. And yeah, I was talking with some of the yeah with the with the men behind the team, and they were saying that the, yeah they don't have a result goal. Uh, their goal is just to have everyone at the start line first. Uh, like this year, it was quite tough for them uh, with the uh, with the Swiss national team runners that was going to World Championship. They were not allowed to run Jukola, and therefore they lost. Uh, the best runners there um, but yeah I think uh, next year they can have a very interesting team uh, with the base uh, around Joey Hardorn, Daniel Hubman and Jonas Ecke But uh, they're talking uh, three points for victory, the ball is around and we will take one uh, game at a time, those uh, words no pressure yeah, on us Yeah you know exactly like uh, focusing on the development and blah 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 but yeah, I think they also in the women's team, they will have a good team. Uh, you know, they have Sabine Hauswirt, they have Sarina Kibbutz, uh, Silje Koliaren, and they have some young girls like Vera Moser that was running J-Walk for Switzerland this year. And they also have, of course, Simone Nigli. So I think she is still, uh, if she wants to be uh, good at the relay, I think she will be really good at Jukola and Jumila next year. But uh, when we're talking about the good quotes and... Uh... And uh, stuff like that. Uh, nothing we like more than a good rumor. As we say, it's always a little truth in a really good rumor. Uh, do we have something there? Yeah, because... Um, yeah, so... Martin Regborn, he did an interview with some local podcast in Örebro uh, with a journalist there. And uh, at the end of the podcast, the, the journalist asked him about uh, some rumor he had heard. Uh, that uh, Jerke Lysel might move to Hagaby uh, because Jerke Lysel, he lives in Örebro with, uh, with his family now. Uh, Ren Speko, they are not uh, having an elite group anymore. Uh, Jerke Lysel is probably 
realizing now that his international career is uh, is it might be over. He's getting older, and uh, and the young Swedes they are really good, so it's hard to get in the team. And then I think uh, it could be more motivated for him to be running for a for a better club. So uh, the rumor is Jakob uh, sell to Hagerby. Yep, and I think uh, if you look at, uh, of course, Hagerby is not uh, anywhere near the best club in Sweden. Uh, but yeah, with Jakob Lissell, they have Philip Dahlgren, they have uh, Martin Regborn. That's a good core of a team, uh, and maybe they could be. Yeah, fighting maybe top 20 at Jokola or something like that. But especially the, those three together would be a very, very strong contender for the Swedish champs, really. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, and uh, with the, yeah, they could be uh, up in the uh, fight, uh, at least for some uh, some of the legs in uh, Timula, as they were uh, this uh, spring also yeah, at uh, home soil. Uh, uh, they were, uh, yeah, quite good yep. in the match uh, early in the relay. Uh, I I don't know if they ran, did they? Yes, uh, I, I think so. Okay, I'm not sure. Uh, but you the you the most known with Hagabi was the Tiumila in Gothenburg in 2017, uh, when Martin Regborn he changed over first with five minute lead, and then Victor Larsson on the second leg he was running the second leg alone in the front all the time and he didn't get catched, he didn't get caught. Uh, so uh, there is there is some potential in Hagabi, uh, but of course, uh, even if they get Jekyll Lissell, I would say they are quite far away from being a really really strong contender for the top positions at the at the international relays. For the Swedish relays, they could do really well, um, the smaller ones and Swedish champs. Uh, but it would be really interesting to see if Jekyll Lissell goes to Hagabi, what it could potentially lead to, because we know that, uh, for example, Jonathan Gustafsson. Uh, the medalist from the knockout sprint in Denmark this summer. He is running for KFM Örebro, neighbor club that has also no real elite team around him. Uh, so maybe he could be uh, tempted into this uh, project, uh, make Haga be great. Uh, and then there is also some other interesting runners that is living in the area, like Anton Johansson. Uh, and some more. So that if if Jakilisel goes to Hagabi and Hagabi really wants to do something with their elite team, it could be a huge change in the future. Yeah, but uh, you also have this uh, quote that uh, you should uh, you can change to any team, but not the neighbor. So that could be a different <laughs> step. Yeah, those things are always a bit sensitive. Um, to go on, uh, when we are in December, uh, we also have some. Uh, fun uh, both for uh, smaller and bigger kids uh, like the Christmas calendars in orienteering we also have some fo- someone yeah I mean everyone knows the the route to Christmas at World of Wu uh, it's the 16th edition this year and always some really nice routes uh, where people go in draw the routes uh, and then you can see what other people have done, and then there's always a GPS analysis from some competition where the race, where the leg was used. So I think that's a really good, uh, really good uh, training activity too. Uh, like if you know you have to sit down, get into the zone, uh, and then really do it seriously. But it also has a fun value. Uh, and then I, the I had to, have to say something about this also. It's uh, it's also I like the contrast this year from. Uh, from uh, the ultra long champs in Norway to uh, extreme sprint in Italy, 
And that's also what's fascinating about the orienteering sport. So, yeah, it's a really good one, I think. Yeah, and and it's also, it gives, uh, it's, a, it's a great way to show what has happened in the year that has been going by. Uh, because every year you look at those legs and sometimes it's some competition you have never heard of. And then you go in and see the course and then you see that often it's, it's not just only one leg that is really interesting, but also the whole course. Uh, so it's a great way to catch up with some of the best courses uh, that have been during the year. Yeah, should we do, then continue with course of the year and come back? To... Uh, I have a, another small uh, Christmas calendar that I would recommend. Um, it's from the guys that uh, made mapant.es, uh, like the Spanish version of mapant. You know, the laser-generated maps over the whole country. That There is one in Norway, there's one in Finland, uh, there's one in Switzerland, and there's one in Spain. Uh, and they have been doing this really, really cool concept where they, yeah, so they, they find places in Spain from the map and map that looks really cool. Uh, and then they take that, a small section of it as a base, and then they draw it in OCAD to make it look like a real map. Uh, and then they make some course, some legs there to, yeah, so like uh, the puzzle of the day where you can see where would you run. Uh, and it's really cool. I mean, it must take a lot of time uh, to do this, you know, sitting in OCAD and making a map and map look like a real map. Because if you look at the map, it's it looks exactly as a professional map would look uh, with all the details and stuff. And sometimes it's 50-50 real life and uh, fantasy sometimes it's 80 percent fantasy or something like that uh, so a big shout out to manu jurado and the guys at mapant yes the spanish guys there uh, they are on twitter they are on instagram so people should really go check it out it's really really cool yeah not a little shout out it's a really big shout out for the time consuming work they're doing there for the orienteering yeah, you know, I would guess that uh, while they are sitting there playing with OCAD, uh, I'm sure they are listening to this podcast. So thank you, Manu, and thank you guys for the good work. And uh, one other guy who does a lot for uh, orienteering is uh, Jan Kochbach, and he he has also this uh, year a course of the year, uh, parallel with uh, this uh, route to Christmas. And uh, you can uh, still go in and... Uh, suggest a course that you think is the best this year at the worldofwoo.com uh, I think last chance is on Tuesday uh, Coach Buck said that to me but maybe also you can uh, suggest also Wednesday this week yeah so it's a, it's a news on the website so it's like a comment section below and the comment section don't close so uh, if I know we are correct he will always look a few days after to see if there's something in, very interesting coming up uh, so I've, I've been reading through most of the comments already most of the suggestions uh, mo many courses are quite known uh, but there are also some hidden gems I didn't know existed and there's so much nice orienteering courses that has been made over the last year yeah it's been a lot of uh, fun in orienteering the last year and we also have uh, yeah one uh, suggestion for a Christmas present. That's about what's happening in what's have been happening in the World Champs during all the years until uh, 2019. 
I should uh, suggest. It's just this uh, book, Memory of the Winners, by uh, the Czech Jaroslav Kaczmarczyk, I think is uh, pronounced. Uh, that's the that's the PVT guys, is, guy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he has been yeah. running uh, the World Championship courses. Uh, I think since uh, uh, yeah the last uh, fifty years or something. And uh, uh, but uh, now he has collected all the world champs uh, until uh, yeah 2019, from the first in 1966, and uh, all the memories from the winners with courses and uh, nearly 500 pages. So uh, yeah, yeah, I mean it, there is maps, courses, route choices, results, a lot of photos, uh, probably some really nice text also. And uh, yeah, this is a good uh, gift uh, for uh, one who is uh, interested in orienteering. Yeah, I think I might have to buy myself one of those books. I've already bought uh, two. <laughs> if I should uh, lose one, then I have one uh, in the spare. But uh, also I've seen uh, that uh, IOF has uh, given us a new uh, competitor at the podcast market. Yeah, uh, so the IOF have started their own podcast. I'm not sure if they, I would consider them a competition because, you know, they do it more with the standard interview one athlete uh, every episode uh, format, while we are more of a general news uh, news uh, channel. Uh, so it's not a competition. They, we are fulfilling each other. We are uh, going parallel uh, roads and uh, fulfilling and giving the orienteering will what they need. Uh, but uh, I uh, I had to say that we were uh, two months ahead of them with uh, the Daniel Hubman interview as they started with. <laughs> yeah, so it was almost a repetition of what he said uh, with us. Uh, but I mean, Daniel, he's a he's a clever guy. He's been experiencing so much, so he has a lot of interesting stuff to say. And even if it's a lot of the same things twice, uh, smart things you can never hear too often. Yeah, from a joke to be more serious, uh, we have to recommend the IOF uh, podcast. And uh, I've been in contact with uh, the guys who's uh, making the, uh, this uh, podcast. Uh, it's actually the Dane, uh, Arling Tested, uh, who is uh, responsible for this uh, interview. And uh, the plan now is to to have uh, five or six more uh, of those interviews already as uh, fulfilled uh, two episodes with... Um, Two of the biggest uh, surprises uh, the season we have uh, left behind us. Evely Kasikus, uh, the medalist in the Europeans, and Megan Carter-Davis, the world champion in sprint. So those are the, those two episodes is coming up uh, quite soon. Yeah, I think those two are really... I'm looking forward to listen to these uh, interviews because, yeah, I mean, Evely Kasikus, it's like... Um, uh, fairy tale uh, her uh, medal at the European Champs uh, in the summer uh, so to hear what she has been doing to prepare and to get herself from the level where she may be finishing 20 in international races to being able to fight for, for a medal that's a really really interesting story and the same with Megan Carter Davis uh, maybe more about how the entire British team have been preparing so well for uh, for the Spring World Championship this year. I mean, it was not only her that was performing at top, top level. It was the entire team performing maybe even a little bit better than everyone would expect. So very interesting podcast coming up there. 
Yeah, and uh, there will also be a couple of more episodes uh, with uh, runners who have been uh, doing a great season in 2022. But uh, later uh, in the winter and uh, uh, until the spring, uh, it's not sure how they will uh, do with the podcast. But uh, for sure, we will be with you every week. Yeah, or maybe we take a Christmas break. We haven't discussed that yet, but uh, at least there will be one episode next week as well. Maybe then after that, we skip one or two weeks and come back in January. But we will keep you updated about that in the next episode. Uh, what's for sure is that we have uh, at least a hot, but uh, do we have a not? This, uh, no, this? we. you know, now it's soon Christmas and we are keeping the good spirit here. So we only go out on a hide uh, in this time of the year. Uh, so I'm going to give the hot to Burn by Night, uh, which I took part in uh, on Friday uh, last weekend. Uh, it's a night competition uh, once a month uh, during the winter here in Bern in Switzerland. And it's uh, been organized every winter since 1996. It's the 27th edition now. Four races each year, one in November, one in December, one in January and one in February. Like these gaffled mass starts with the great, great start field. I mean, it felt like half the Swiss national team was there. Uh, also, the younger ones. Uh, so, you know, I got beaten by 16-year-olds. I got beaten by 40 years old. Uh, but at least I beat uh, Matthias Nigli uh, in the sprint. So, I didn't get beaten by a man 50. Uh, but it's a great event. You know, you have three courses, mass starts, more than 100 runners. Everyone is meeting up in this local gymnastic hall in a small school. Uh, you run to the start together, then the race, running back into the gymnastic hall, changing, and then getting some uh, nice bread and chocolate and some hot drinks. Perfect atmosphere. So really, really great event. And we know that uh, there is plenty of these night cups around the, around the world. Uh, so shout out to all organizers of this it's it's not the best part of the orienteering but it's really damn close it's really good yeah it's, and it's really important uh, during winter to keep the spirit and uh, yeah uh, for many this is uh, really important to actually get uh, out and train during the winter so yeah a big shout out to every one of the, those uh, organizers yeah and i mean uh of course it's a, it's a bit easier to be motivated for going out to run night orienteering if there is 100 other people when it's uh, minus 5 degrees and 10 centimeters of snow then it really makes it a lot easier to to go out with so many others uh i uh, made made such course when it was uh, snow uh, a t- uh, time back when i was studying and uh, you know eva mol the EOF uh, advice, uh, no, it's not, advi- uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, event IOF, advisor. Event, event advisor in IOF, yeah. many races. He um, he has uh, really long legs, but uh, the snow was too uh, heavy for him. So he quitted the race before he came to the start control. He was quitting <laughs> already and uh, went back. Uh, yeah, but, you know, it, it tells the... a bit about his motivation, but also a bit of the circumstances with snow and uh, course setting. Yeah, but you know, when it's uh, it's much easier when it's mass starts because then you just uh, go behind the other, so they they make a nice track for you. Yeah, and uh, but uh, this race, uh, the Ungerloven at Christian Bön was winning uh, 
8K of running with uh, uh, just under two hours. So it was uh, quite a tough one. Yeah, no, the race I was running on Friday, it was in a small forest outside Bern. Uh, luckily, you know, the ground is quite uh, hard. So even if it's a lot of snow, it's not impossible to move at decent speed. So even if it was a bit snow, it was uh, still quite quickly done. But uh, you're saying that uh, Matthias Negli in the men 50 class is almost uh, good enough for the Turing first team at Tio Milo. <laughs> uh, I think if, uh, if Tio Milo was organized now, I would not be anywhere close to the first team. But you know, there's five months until Tio Milo, so I have a lot of work to do. Uh, so maybe I can distance Matthias a bit uh, more in the coming Burn by Nights. Yeah, uh, but we will continue uh, until uh, Tiumila and further on with this po- podcast. Uh, and uh, yeah, this this was all for uh, this week. And uh, thank you a lot for listening. See you. Bye. I'm Raul Ferra, head coach of Harden Ski Club. And I always listen to Ivar National Orienting Podcast to get the best overviews and analysis of the main events in the orienting season. International Orienteering Podcast, Map and Compass, Navigation Skill, Orienteering Competition. Running like a motherfucker. International Orienteering Podcast.